Rita and I went on our on our first cruise. We've been on several since and have one planned for later this year. Uh, and and this cruise was going to be kind of a special. It was put together by the North American Christian Convention. And, and so uh, almost all the people on the cruise ship were, were going to be people from the church, uh, pastors and church people from all over America. So, so yes, it was going to be a boring group of people that was going to be on that cruise ship. But we, we were excited about it. We flew into Miami, got up the, the Sunday morning we were to leave, and, and got in a cab. And we were traveling with a, 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 some friends of ours, uh, my, my friend Dan and his wife Marla. Uh, Dan had been my college roommate. Marla had grown up with Rita in the same church in Topeka. And so we were doing this cruise together. So we jumped in a cab together and we headed, uh, towards, towards the ocean down towards where the, the ships were. And we started over this causeway. And as you did, we caught our first glimpse of where the ships were parked. And we, we saw this, this one ship that was, was parked there. Now, the, the cruise line that we were, that we were traveling on was the Dolphin Cruise Line. I'd never heard of the Dolphin Cruise Line, but but I don't. I hadn't traveled much. I don't. At that point, hadn't done much. I, I'd heard of Celebrity and Royal Caribbean and Carnival, Norwegian. Never heard of the Dolphin Cruise Line, but but I thought it's got to be a fine one. So so as we headed across, I don't know who it was. If it was Rita or Marla or Dan, maybe it was me that yelled out, "There's our ship!" See, see, we looked up and we saw this this huge cruise ship, and on the top of it was a dolphin tail and and we thought that is our ship and we were giddy with excitement we were just elbowing one like but this is going to be so much fun and so so we saw this ship it took our breath away it was so massive it was so beautiful it was so awesome it was so elegant and it was so not our ship uh what we thought was the a dolphin tail was just a, a fin that was on top of the Royal Caribbean ship. Part uh, was carnival. Well, one of them doesn't make a difference. It wasn't dolphin. Uh, our, our our cab kind of took us around and and parked uh, cozily between uh, two of these massive, elegant, beautiful, stupendous cruise ships. Was the Sea Breeze, the dolphin? You know, the the flagship. Uh, uh, vessel of the uh, of the dolphin cruise line uh it looked in comparison like the minnow only old people laughed at that one so you young people don't know that the, the, that was the the uh gilligan's island their their fateful ship it it looked so so small it literally was half the size we, it had it had about 900 people that cruised on that ship the others had 3 to 4000 people it was <sighs> Our attitude changed from the excitement of there's our ship to there's our boat. <laughs> now, I have to be honest. Uh, I have to be honest. I was left wanting more. There was part of me that wasn't content when I saw it. Now, the truth was we had a wonderful, wonderful cruise. We had a great time and, and it, it was, it was, it was good. And we later picked one of those big ones to go on. But, but I have a question for you this morning. As you take a, an honest look at your life, as you ponder uh, and, and maybe look closely at where you are, what's happening in your life, the path your life has taken, your walk with the Lord, your relationship with family, with friends. Friends, let me ask this question as we start off today. Are you content? Are you content? Or somewhere in the back of your mind, in the pit of your stomach, in the depth of your soul, 
are you are you disappointed? Are you left wanting more? Well, well, if that's where you, you find yourself, I have two encouragements for you this morning. N- number one is you're not uh, you're you're not abnormal. Uh, a lot of people end up finding themselves there. Most of us at one time or another find ourselves discontented and wanting more with our life or at least a portion of our life. And here's the second thing. In the book of First Timothy, Paul addresses it. So we're going to look at that this morning, what he has to say. And Paul points out two ways, and we'll look at two ways, that, that we see from this text that we try to find contentment, but but they always leave us wanting more. They always leave us lacking uh, and then we'll look at one way that leaves us successful in that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to read uh, kind of a long section there, verses 3 through 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew back in front of you. Follow along with me as we read. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching... He is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil uh, suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Uh, So so read those few verses. They, They don't sound like anything about contentment, but let's see what he says. Moving on from there. But godliness with contentment. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. For if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get uh, rich fall into temptation and a trap that many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from truth and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Let me uh, let me illustrate this idea. Uh, and and the key phrase this morning is verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. If we can if we can figure out what that means, if we can figure out that place and put ourselves in that sweet spot, godliness with contentment. Boy, there is great gain there. Let me let me illustrate. A few years ago, uh, there was a lady that that attended the Sunday school class that I that I taught when we were attending Central Christian Church. Uh, the lady's name was Tony. Her, her husband's name was Gary, and Tony had to had to go to Omaha for for a, a surgery that was very a very serious and very intricate surgery. In fact, the surgery would would require her and did require her to stay in the hospital for about about eight nights, uh, and and so it was very serious and. And it was going to be a, a slow and arduous recovery, very painful recovery. And I remember touching base with her husband, Gary. Actually dropped into the hospital to see them uh, just a few days after the surgery. And I, and I, I remember talking to him about the process. And, and her husband, Gary, never left her side. And, and by, by that, I mean literally never left her side except for the surgery. They wouldn't let him go back during the surgery. But, but her two or three days in ICU... Gary stayed in the ICU the whole time, only leaving just to, to go get something to eat and, uh, and then come back to him. In fact, he told me, he said he slept in a straight back chair for two nights in ICU. He said it was uncomfortable, but, but, but he never left her side. She got transferred then to a room and spent about six or seven days 
in that room. And Gary said he slept in an uncomfortable chair in the room. Now, now some hospital rooms, Mosaic does a good job. They've got, they've got these chairs that fold out and you can lay down. Some of them, some of the rooms have, have beds that you can lay in actually, but, but not this hospital in Omaha. They just had an uncomfortable chair. And for seven nights, Gary said that he, that he, that he slept in this uncomfortable chair and never left her side. Uh, I, I stopped by to visit him a couple days after they got home. And he told me this story, because he told me a, a, about the, the stay and the sleeping. He said, when we got home from the hospital, he said, I, I took Tony and put her to bed, and, and I got her a, a, a glass of water, and I made sure she had taken her pain medication, and I, I, I got all the stuff she needed. She had some magazines and a newspaper, her Bible, everything around her that she can need. And he said, this is what he did. He said, I went down into my living room and I sat down in my recliner. Sorry, I don't have a recliner on stage. He said, I sat down and I pulled back the seat or the footrest. Sorry, Pick, I hear it. I did something to it. He said, I, I pulled my feet back. He said, I just, I just got to that place and and for the first time in a week and a half, for the first time in a week and a half, I took a breath, a deep breath of relaxation. But godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment is great. I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if Paul isn't trying to, to paint that picture of what it looks like. Gary sitting down in that place and finally, finally finding great breath rest now now let's look at a couple things that that we tend to try to do to find contentment and and godliness that always ends up leaving us just a little bit short of the the mark and then we'll look uh and finish up with one thing that we do that we should do that paul points out here's what we try now this is going to sound weird but but we sometimes try to be content with godliness I'm not going to read those verses again, but, but remember back verses three through five. If anyone teaches false doctrines, Paul goes through all this litany of stuff that's going on there. And, and, and when you come away from reading those verses three through five, if you want to glance at those as I'm talking, feel, feel free to do so. But, but you realize, man, that doesn't look like there's a whole lot of contentment there. Sometimes we become content with godliness. The early church. Uh, struggled with false teaching. Man, they, they, there was constantly people that would show up in churches and they would preach a gospel that wasn't the gospel of Jesus. They would, they would change things and make it different. And, and, and the reality is our, our world's the same today. We, we have to fight against and struggle against false doctrine. Now, now hopefully we don't do that here. Hopefully if you're involved in a church, it, it's not a church that teaches false doctrine, but, but even individually, we oftentimes struggle with our own false doctrine. We come up with, we come up with ideas of holiness that, that God doesn't call us to. Or, or we think of holiness, but, but that interferes with what we want to do, so we explain it away or ignore it. Or we take an area of commitment that we feel like God wants us to go in that area, but man, it doesn't jive with what I want. It's going to be too much sacrifice, so, so I just explain it away or I ignore it. In other words, what I do is I seek to be content with a godliness that leaves God out. See, see, I, I think we struggle oftentimes, and, and I'm kind of painting with a, a, a wide brush here, but sometimes we struggle to, to be content with godliness that leaves God out, and, and what it replaces is self. 
Now, let, let me point out how we see that in the church uh, three quick ways. Number one, sometimes we point that out or we see that with knowledge. Sometimes we get so caught up in, in wanting to know, so caught up in, in, in studying scripture. Now, now I'm not going to suggest that we don't study scripture at all. We, we need to know God's word. We're, we're not in God's word nearly enough, but, but if we become so proud of what we know, we become so proud of what we, we mine from God's word that that becomes our most important thing that we become content with godliness, but we leave God out. We had a, we had a gentleman that attended the church that I, I pastored with in Louisiana. His name was Howard. And Howard, man, Howard was as smart as any man in the church. And he knew the Bible as well as any man in the church. You could, uh, uh, Gary, you, whatever verses you, you mentioned, man, he, he could have said, that's Matthew and give, given the, the, the chapter and verse. He, this guy was on top of it. But somewhere along the line, he had left God out. I mean, no one could stand the guy. His, his, his wife and daughter attended church with him and they didn't even like him. They had to kind of because it was dad and husband. But man, this guy was so obnoxious because it was all about knowledge and nowhere was God in. We, we see Jesus battling with the Pharisees over and over again, don't we? Throughout the New Testament, that, that's where they were. They knew God about God, but they didn't know God. Uh, that, that'll never satisfy. Sometimes we can, we can, uh, can seek godliness with contentment that leaves God out by, by leaning towards works. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be upfront here. This is, this is an area that I can struggle with. This is an area that I, that I tend to lean to and, and, and get off, uh, off the, the mark on this. We, now don't misunderstand. We are called to do good works. We are called to serve. Ephesians tells us that God's appointed good works for us to do ahead of time. But we're not saved by them. And, and, and the problem, if we find ourselves in that place where, well, well, man, I've just got to do all of this. It all becomes about us. And you know what? We're, we're never really content because number one, we can't ever do enough. Man, if that's how we find our, our, our contentment with godliness and we take God out and it becomes about us and it comes about doing, we're never happy. Because we've never done enough. And, and here's the other thing. What we end up doing is we end up judging other people. We end up looking at you and saying, you know, you're not doing enough either. I'm doing all this and you're not doing it. And so, it, man, it just does not lead to contentment. And, and here's a third way in the church we sometimes do that. We, we become checkmark Christians. We come up with a, a system and, and, and we never find it in the Bible. We never find it in God's Word, but we come up with this system whereby if we check the marks, if we, if we do the things that we figured out must be what God wants us to do, if, if we do them, then He'll be happy. But, but it's then again all about us and we leave God out. We, we might become ones that, well, if I go to church a certain number of Sundays. Now let's just be honest. Some of you know this about yourself. Some of you are four out of four Sunday type people. And, and, and in your mind, man, if I'm at church every Sunday, Man, if I'm at church every Sunday, then God's happy with me. Then I've arrived. I've, I've reached that nirvana. I've, I've hit the mark if, man, I'm at church every Sunday. You, you might be four out of four, and on five Sunday months, you get to take one Sunday off. Anyone realize that this is a five Sunday month? You, you don't, you know, you don't need to take a Sunday off if you don't want to, but, but sometimes we, but, but the problem there is, 
what, what about the next guy? The next guy may say, well, two out of four is enough. Man, if I'm at church every other week, or, or if I go to church two weeks in a row, man, I can blow the next two off because that's good enough. Now, now the truth is, God's Word calls us, I think God's Word calls us to be active in the church. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, 25 says, don't make it the habit to, to, to not be in church, basically. Uh, that's my, my verse and my translation of that. But, but we have a responsibility to be there to encourage one another. The early church followed the example of the apostles in Acts 4.12 uh, or Acts 2.42. It says they devoted themselves to, to the apostles. They devoted themselves to fellowship and being together uh, each and every, every time that they could. So, so we're called to be there, but, but sometimes we come up with these check marks. Maybe your, maybe your check mark is that I give 10% to the church. Well, we should. That should be our, that should be our starting point or, but maybe you change it to 5% or 2% or $5 or whatever it might be. But the problem is it's all about us. And trying to be content with godliness that leaves God out will always leave us wanting more. Godliness without God leaves us falling short. So, so maybe we try it this way. Maybe we try content to be content with contentment. Notice what Paul Paul speaks to, uh, and, and he's talking to the church here, so he's talking to us. Notice what Paul says in verses 9 and 10. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from faith and pierced themselves with many uh, with many griefs. We might think that trying to buy happiness or amassing wealth and trying to find uh, contentment uh, in things is a uniquely American problem. But the reality is it it is, and it transcends time. Uh, if you want to write these down or try to follow along as I read them, do so in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. It says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In Matthew chapter 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In Mark 8.36, Jesus said, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So, so what if you have the, the biggest house, the newest cars, the latest and fastest computer, the hippest job, uh, the, the newest iPhone, a 120-inch TV with surround sound? Maybe you built a home theater uh, in 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 uh in your home to watch movies, but you forfeited so. J.C. Riley says, money in truth is one of the most unsatisfying of possessions. Let me read that again. Money in truth is one of the most unsatisfying of possessions. It takes away some cares, no doubt, but brings with it quite a many cares as it takes away. There's trouble in the getting of it. There's anxiety in keeping it. There are temptations in the use of it. There's guilt in the abuse of it. There's sorrow in the losing of it. And there is perplexity in the disposing of it. Now, 
Now catch this. This passage doesn't say that having wealth or money or things is wrong. It says that the love of those things. And really points out two things. Verse 9, it says there's a desire. Notice what he said there. People who want to get rich fall into temptation, a trap, in a many foolish and harmful desires. Church, we need to realize that we need to realize that there is a uh, an easy problem that finds its way into the church, and that and that is that we seek to be content with contentment. As long as I'm happy, as long as I have the things that I want, as long as life is going well, as long as I am content with my contentment, I'm okay. Church Paul puts this in here for us to think about. He, he doesn't condemn having wealth. He doesn't condemn uh, having things. In fact, John John Wesley said, earn all you can so that you can save all that you can. But But then he changes it to, to what we should do with it so that you can give all that you can. The church, we have to be careful that the things of this world, the desire to have money, wealth, possessions, easiness, that they don't take a hold of us because we live in a world and we live in a country, we live in a place where that can easily grab us. We probably don't talk about it nearly enough. But man, we have to watch out that these verses don't talk about us, that we don't become content with contentment. Last Sunday night, I, I went to bed, and I hadn't been in bed very long. In fact, I wasn't asleep, and I heard my phone ding. It wasn't a text message. It, I, I knew what the ding was. Someone had sent me a, a Facebook message, and, and, and I laid there, because I'm, I'm, once I go to bed, I'm lazy, and I'm laid there like, do I get up and check it? I, I Finally, my curiosity got the best of me, so I got my phone out, and I, I opened it up, and I looked at Facebook, and I couldn't find it at first, and and, I, and in fact, it came from someone who I, I wasn't a friend with. So I, I, lo- I looked around, and I finally found the message. And it, it, it came from my friend Cesar. It actually came from her wife's account. And, and I guess I'm not friends with her on Facebook. But, but Cesar, Cesar Sanchez is, uh, is a guy that lives in Mexico. Some of you that built uh, uh, Heath, Dallas, you guys, you, uh, Craig, you guys built with Cesar and his, his dad Lupe this year. Cesar sent me a message. He started out and said, said, Soy Cesar, I am Cesar. Uh, since it came from his wife, I'm Cesar. And then he went on to, uh, to, to apologize all over himself. I'm sorry for sending this. I, I, I feel bad. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed that I'm sending you this request. And, 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 and what he did, he sent me a request asking if I could send him some money. And let me point something out. He, he didn't say, hey, Tim, can you send me some money because I'm late on my house payment? You know, we moved into this nice new house and, uh, you know, work's been tough, and that's what he did say, that, that it's been hard to find work and there's not been any employment. And, and uh, you know, he didn't say, hey, I need, I, need help with a, I need help with a house payment. That's not what he said. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, I found this sweet ride. I found this car, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm $100 short. And if I could just come up with $100, now he didn't ask for a certain amount, but boy, if I could come up with $100, I would, I'd be able to buy this sweet ride. In fact, not that Cesar walks everywhere or rides a bus. Uh, he doesn't have a car. He, he didn't say, hey, can you send me some money? Man, I really want to take my family on vacation. My kids have never seen the ocean. They see sand every day, but they've never seen ocean. They've never been to a beach. Man, can you send me some money so I can take my kids to the ocean? You, you know what? Instead, he said, hey, Tim, I apologize. I feel bad. I'm ashamed that I'm asking. 
but my kids start school tomorrow and I don't have money for uniforms. See, in Mexico, you, you have to wear uniforms. They have to, everyone has to dress alike. And if you don't have a uniform, you don't go to school. I said, Tim, can you send me a little bit of money so I can, I can buy uniforms for my kids? We, we can easily, uh, we can easily get caught up in things. He points out in verse 10, don't let those, those desires then become distractions. He says, for the love of money, money is not evil. Money can be used for good. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, when, uh, when Reed and I were first married, we had nothing. I mean, we had less than nothing. Um, and man, I look back, that might have been some of our happiest times. I bet some of you could look back and say, man, when I had nothing, when I, I didn't even know how we were going to pay the rent the next month, living on love <laughs> or stupidity. I don't remember which one it was, but, uh, but, but now we have all kinds of stuff. We have an attic full of junk. We, 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 we rented a, uh, a dumpster last November and kept it for two months and filled it three times full of junk out of our attic that we couldn't bear to part with for years. And, uh, and and we still have an attic full of there's snakes up there, yeah. So she's not going. Up. <laughs> oh, we we uh, man. Paul says, don't don't become content with contentment, but do do become content with God. Look look at uh, verse six again. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For, for we brought nothing into this world and we can't take, uh, and we take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Man, we, we try to find contentment in so many, we, we try to find it and sometimes with godliness and doing all the right stuff, but we, we end up leaving God out. We try to find contentment with just being content with find, finding things that will make us happy, but Man, if we're just honest with ourselves, they, those really don't satisfy us either. But he says, if we find godliness with contentment. Now, that is, that is such a cool statement. In fact, I don't normally do this, but let's, let's do this. Can we say that together? Cause I think that's such a cool phrase. Will you say this? I'll, I'll count to three. Let's just say that together. One, two, three. And I need to repeat again. Cause some of you are like, what are we supposed to say? Godliness with contentment is the phrase. So one, two, three. Isn't that cool? What does it mean? <laughs> what in the world does it mean? It is us seeking God from a place of contentment, realizing that our contentment comes from God. See, if we seek God, we seek to be content, but we leave God out, we're not going to get there. And if we, if we seek to be content, but we leave God out, we're not going to make it. The Greek word for contentment there means self-sufficiently, self-sufficiency. It has the idea that I have everything when I, when I, everything I need when I am seeking God. In Philippians chapter four, uh, Paul speaks of this, uh, another time, verses 11 to 13. You're going to know a couple of these verses. He says, I'm not saying th- this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says, and I know you probably have this underlined in your Bibles, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's a great verse. Tim Tebow used to have that written on, on, uh, on his uh, his cheeks and and wonderful verse. I love. It. I bet some of you have quoted Philippians uh, four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And more times than not, we misquote that verse because Paul put it in this context. Paul put it in this context that I can be content. I can have an attitude of self sufficiency, sufficiency, even if I have nothing. When I have plenty, I, I don't pat myself on the back and think it's all about me. When I have nothing, I'm not tempted to blame God for not blessing me enough. He sums it up. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God is the one who gives me the strength to be content. See, that's what he's talking about. God, I can do all things through Christ. I can be content whether I have stuff or whether I don't have stuff. I can seek him. Godliness with contentment. And he points out three things, and we'll finish with this. He says we need to embrace the nothing. He says in verse 8, uh, or in verse 7, 4, we brought nothing in the world and we can't take anything out. We, we, uh, someone once said we approach God with our hands empty three times in life. We approach God, uh, with our hands empty at birth. I can tell you that's the truth. I, I watched, uh, three of my four kids, uh, being birthed and they didn't come out with anything. They didn't, they didn't have a suitcase. They didn't have diapers. They didn't have instructions. They didn't have a college plan. They, they had nothing. Um, except expectations and, uh, uh, and, and wants. At birth, we have nothing. At, at death, at death, we approach God with nothing. I don't care how much you have. I don't care how much you've amassed. I don't care you've got cars and boats and houses. I, it doesn't make a difference. We, we approach God uh, exactly like we started with nothing. And also at our conversion, when we come to God, when we call him into our life, we approach him with nothing. He says also that, uh, that we need to enjoy the small. Verse eight says, but, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. The idea for clothing could be covering or it could, it could mean clothes or it could mean shelter. If I, if I have something to eat and somewhere to lay my head, I'll be content. And Paul sums it up in verse 11 of chapter 6 when he tells us we need to engage with God. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. John, you guys come on up. I thought uh, as I was working on this sermon, uh, I was thinking of someone, trying to think of someone that embodied this idea of godliness with contentment. Someone that that lived their life uh, in, in, in that kind of way. And, and the first name that popped in my head, the first example that popped in my head was was my friend, my friend Rafael Berciaga. Rafael, uh, uh, about a year ago, went to be with the Lord and is enjoying... Uh, heaven with his uh, his wife and other family members and seeing Jesus and and uh, but Raphael was uh, was such a wonderful man of God. Here, here's a man that that in his retirement, instead of sitting back and enjoying retirement and taking it easy, in his retirement he started a church. He went out to Napa, the area that we go to in New Mexico, and 
And, and at the time, a napper didn't have running water and he would drive out in his pickup with barrels of water and, and give away water, fill up people's water barrels just so he could talk to them about Jesus. And, and in doing so, a church sprung up and through the years, he was able to talk to so many people and bless so many people uh, with his faith and his service to God. Here's, here's a man I remember sitting at his living or his, his kitchen table one day and he was talking and telling me the story that he hoped to die on the line and had no idea what he was talking about. His, his son had to translate or explain to me what he was talking about. But, but his thought was, I, I want to die serving God. I want to die serving God. And he did. Are you content? Are you content? If you're trying to be content with godliness that leaves God out, you're going to be lacking. If you're trying to be content by seeking contentment, you're going to end up you're going to end up falling short. But godliness with contentment, godliness with contentment is great. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your your son Jesus and the, the gift of grace and mercy and love that he offers us. Father, there are so many things in this world that try to draw us away from you, that would pull us away. Father, sometimes we seek you and lead you out. We put ourselves on the throne. Father, help us never do that. Father, sometimes we, we're drawn away by the things this world offers. The flashy stuff, the exciting stuff. And Father, we, we, we just come, come up empty with that as well. And Father, help us seek you in an area of self-sufficiency. Father, help us seek you in an area of contentment, knowing that you are the one, you are the only one that can fulfill that need. Father, there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you. Lord, speak to their heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?